Hi, plant friends. Welcome to episode 71 of Boomango Radio. Well, hello there, my sweet plant friends. I hope you are having wonderfully planty weeks as per usual. I am actually recording this from home. I'm sitting in my bed recording this. I'm never home. I'm home for 72 hours. So I have been enjoying some time with my plants and enjoying time with Billy before I head to Detroit. So I'll be in Detroit next week when this episode airs. But it's just been so wonderful to reconnect with my plants and also deal with scale (laughs) and powdery mildew that I'm noticing. So it's been nice to be home to give everybody some TLC. Before we dive into this podcast, have you guys checked out the Bloom and Grow YouTube show? So I recently launched my YouTube channel. The plan is to do a lot of like videos that accompany a lot of these podcast episodes. So like last week with the two-part cannabis series, I did a behind-the-scenes tour of Chudy's Cannabis Grow House. Today, we launched the How to Make Your Own Moss Pole tutorial, which is the partner to episode 42 that I did with Tyler from Arium Botanicals. So if you want a visual on how to make your moss pole, next week we have a Monstera repotting. I've done planty home makeovers. I've done Air Plant 101, um, hacks for traveling with plants. There's a lot of really fun video stuff that I've been doing on YouTube. So if you haven't checked it out yet, click the link in the show notes below. Make sure you subscribe because because I am definitely going to be releasing some really cool planty things over on the YouTube show. Thank you so much. We've got three new Patreon plant friends. Jose Cruz, you are unbelievable. You came in over the $4 entry-level plant friend fee. I'm so thankful to you. Thank you for being a part of our community. Danya Gilday, thank you for joining. And Ann Perkins, thank you for joining. Anna Perkins, I'm a crazy Parks and Recreation fan. And when Anna Perkins came into my inbox saying, Anna Perkins has joined Patreon, I like freaked out because Ann Perkins is obviously a character on Parks and Rec if you guys listen to that. So... Basically, I'm a nerd. Cool. If you're interested in joining Patreon and supporting Bloom and Grow on a monthly basis, you can check the link in the show notes below. I'm so excited to be back to our normally scheduled houseplant-themed content. So I know some of you loved the cannabis episodes. I know some of you had mixed feelings about it. But listen, plant friends, I'm here to continue stretching our knowledge of how things grow. We are going to be 90% houseplant-themed. I have so many amazing interviews coming up, houseplant themes. We have Leslie Halleck coming back for Grow Lights. We have Prepping Your Garden for Fall. We have our community episode. I've got an episode on variegation. Don't worry, my houseplant friends. You are going to be taken care of of this episode, but I'm also going to throw some wild cards in the mix because I want all of us to bloom and grow and stretch beyond what we thought we could do. I'm so excited about today's episode with Lisa Eldred Steinkopf, who is otherwise known as the houseplant guru. She is so sweet and so knowledgeable. I feel like she's the aunt of our community that is doling out amazing houseplant advice. I just really love her. We have an enlightening conversation about low light and how to care for plants in low light environments. In this episode, we're going to cover just what low light means, how to care for plants in low light environments your basic low light plants. But my favorite part of the conversation is rare or unusual low light plants. So for my 
2.0 plant friends that are part of this community, and I know that there are a lot of you, and you have your Sansevieria and your ZZs and your snake plants, Lisa suggests some really good alternative options for how to continue growing your low-light indoor jungle. So I hope you love it and learn so much the way I did. Lisa has two books, Grow in the Dark, How to Choose and Care for Your Low-Light Houseplants, which I can't recommend enough and we talk about a lot, and also Houseplants, The Complete Guide. So she's awesome. September is a month for Bloom and Grow history because we have two month-long podcast sponsor partners who I am so obsessed with. I am so thankful for them. They are helping me bring you guys four unbelievable episodes that are going to help us all bloom and grow. So thank you to Espoma Organics and to Floating Bed and Breakfast, who you're going to hear about. So I am so excited to introduce you guys to Espoma Organics. Plan friends, I can barely put into words how much I love Espoma Organics, the company, its mission, and its products. So Espoma has been in business for 90 years. It is a family-owned, fourth-generation-owned business operated by an amazing family that is dedicated to making safe and organic indoor and outdoor gardening products for people, pets, and the planet. I have personally been using their potting soils, their organic indoor houseplant fertilizer, and their horticultural sprays for more than a year, and I am obsessed. I actually first learned about Espoma Organics because I got a bottle of their indoor houseplant fertilizer at one of Summer Rain Oaks' houseplant swaps, and I started using the fertilizer. I adored how easy it was to use and how it's organic, and have since graduated to using their potting soils and their incredibly helpful horticultural sprays that I adore as well. I think that my favorite, favorite product is their houseplant fertilizer because it's just so easy. It's a bottle with liquid fertilizer in it. It has this easy dose liquid container top. So you just flip the bottle upside down. The container top fills with the pre-measured liquid and then you just pour that liquid into your watering can. So there's no like dealing with houseplant granules with a measuring scoop like it just makes fertilizing so easy and mess free and I just really appreciate that when you've got a lot of plants and you're mixing a lot of fertilizer and you're wanting to do it in not a lot of time so I love that and I love that Espoma organic products are you guessed it plant friends they're organic and this family business not only cares about their products and the quality of the products which is amazing but they care about how they do business so Their plant where they make all of their products is 100% solar powered. They have a huge zero waste commitment and they're just great people making great products. I can't say enough wonderful things about them. So if you're interested in their over 70 organic products from soil to indoor and outdoor fertilizers to horticultural spray, and they started as an outdoor company. So if you're outdoor gardeners, plant friends, they're also the company for you. Click the link in the show notes below to the Bloom and Grow Amazon storefront. So I've put together my list of my favorite favorite Espoma products on my Amazon storefront, or you can visit espoma.com and look up whatever local garden centers, plant shops, and big box stores sell their amazing products near you. So once again, check out the link in the show notes or go to espoma.com to check out the amazing products they have to offer. Okay, plant friends, who is ready to learn how to grow their low light jungles? Let's go. take plant friends, there is no one right starter plant. There, I said it. And you know what? While I'm at it, there are also no real plant killers in the world. There are just people who have not figured out 
their right plants for their lifestyle. This is why I created the free Plant Parent Personality Test, because Plant Friend, I want you to get thriving alongside your houseplants as quickly as possible, so I made this cutie little Plant Parent Personality Quiz that's totally free for you on my website to take the guesswork out of building your plant collection effortlessly and joyfully. After speaking to thousands of members in our community, I realized that there are about five key plant parent personalities, each one with their unique set of strengths, weaknesses, and a unique set of plants that thrive under their care. For example, a mindful plant parent, someone who wants to engage with their plants daily, use them in their morning routines. If someone gifted that plant parent a succulent and they watered it every day, that succulent would die immediately. However... That drought-resistant succulent is a perfect match for a low-key plant parent, which is someone who travels, has kids, is busy, doesn't have time to engage with their plants every day. They're looking to engage with their plants more like once a week or once every couple of weeks. In addition, obviously, to understanding your light and basic plant care that we provide on this podcast, Happy Plant Parenthood is all about discovering your personality and then picking the right house plants to go with it. It's that simple. No more stressing over your collection. So what plant parent personality type are you, plant friend? All you got to do to find out is take my free quiz on my website and let me know. You can access it at growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality. After taking the test, you'll get an email with a list of plants, podcast episodes, and planty projects that I think would light you specifically up like a full spectrum grow light. So once again, that's growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality for your free plant parent personality test results. Lisa, welcome to the Bloom and Grow Radio podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you on the show because I feel like low light is an issue for so many people. So many of us live in apartments like myself. I only have windows on one side of my apartment. The majority of my space is low light. It's a problem most of us have. It's a reason why most of us kill plants because we don't know any better. And I'm so excited to have you to guide us through how to enjoy our low light spaces and bring life to our low light spaces. I'm excited. I personally have always lived in a house so mm-hmm. for me, I, I had never, I know I'd never thought about the fact that, you know, apartments, you may only have a north facing window facing a brick building five feet away. Ah, yep. I don't know what I would do. And I'm even fortunate enough that I do at least have that Southern facing light, but the most of my, you know, my bathroom has no windows. My kitchen is 15 feet from, from any windows. So it's been a really interesting adventure. So before we dive into low light, and you obviously have an entire book on this, you have been in the green horticulture industry for so long. I'd love to hear your story of how you became the plant lady that you are today and the house plant guru. You know, I grew up in a rural area. We had, I mean, it's not like nothing better to do because it was so much fun, but my brothers, I had three older brothers and especially the one that's closest in age to me, we were just outside all day. And when mom rang the big bell that she had on a bell, we called it the bell pole, then we would all come running because it's, oh it's time for dinner or it's, you know, you've been out too long. And we just were, you know, running through the woods and grandma lived a half a mile away and we were out in the barn, you know, just having fun. You know, I watched grandma and mom have house plants, and I still have a fern, piece of the fern that was my mom's that she's had. I now have hers because she doesn't live in her home anymore, and I took it. So I have a fern from her from 1957. I have mine from 1984 when I got married, 85 when I got married. And then I just gave a piece to my daughter when she got married last year in 2018. So I've just always had plants in the house and watched them take care of them. And I just love, I love outdoor plants too. I'm a avid outdoor gardener as well. 
So I became the houseplant guru when my, the writer for the free press, Nancy Zerlig, would, oh, anytime she had a houseplant question, she would call me because she knew I loved houseplants and had a lot of them. And then she started calling me the guru. My houseplant guru is saying, you should do this. And I'm like, well, that's a good name. I'll, I'll <laughs> use that. So that's how I became the houseplant guru. Were you always in the horticultural industry? Like what were you doing when she would just randomly call you for houseplant advice? Well, we were in garden club together many years ago, so we've known each okay. other for a long time. But yes, I worked at my husband's family's garden center and we had plants there. So she knew I was into plants. I met my husband in college in horticulture classes. I was going to school for horticulture. Oh, wow. So you have a degree in horticulture and your husband's business. You married? I do not. I did not finish. Oh, okay. <laughs> but hey, I, I can say I had a degree. I've been, I've worked at the nursery at his garden center and, and I've, immerse myself with plants. So that's a nice way to marry into a garden center. You don't have to set it up, but you get to enjoy the benefits of working at one. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've been working in a garden center and you still actively have that garden center. Do you spend a lot of time there now? I don't. I quit working there about five or six years ago because I kind of went the way of writing. I started writing books and I've had some back surgery, so it was a little hard for me to work there. So mm -hmm. I've kind of home doing this now. What is your favorite house plant that you have? Oh gosh. I know everybody always asks me that. It's probably whichever one I'm looking at just because I'm a huge sentimental person is my, you know, my mom's fern. I also have the ponytail palm that I took to college with me in a two inch pot. It's now in like a 14 inch pot. Oh wow. I love Sansevierias. I have so many Sansevierias, which excuse me are now Dracinias. They just changed the botanical name, which is really stressing me out. Wait, what? What Dr now? Sansevierias are now Dracinias. When did that happen? Uh, I know. I didn't know that either. Summer Rain Oaks on her, one of her things that she was, that came up on Instagram, it said Sansevieria Dracinia. And I'm like, what? And it's been that way for, a, I don't know how long, but a f at least a few months or maybe even more. Oh my gosh. Sansevieria are my favorite plant. So, Me, and they I are just, one of my favorite plants. I have like 30 or maybe, I don't even know how many varieties I have. Can I still call it a Sansevieria or I have to call it, does it lose its name Sansevieria or it just gets an extra name? It's really Dracaena, like Dracaena trifasciata or Dracaena. Oh my know. God. I don't think they're ever going to change any of our minds. I'm probably going to keep calling it Sansevieria till I'm dead. Me too. I'm like going to go through an identity crisis about that. I feel it. Like, and also I talk about them so much yeah. because I love them so much. And actually the reason why I love, or I feel for Sansevieria so much is they actually thrive in high light, but are used as a low light plant because they tolerate low light. And I feel so bad for them because they never get to be in the sunlight where they deserve to be because they just can be in the corners. And so I try and put them in the light when I can, but you know, so many of them are, are not in my apartment just because I only have that limited highlight space. Oh, that's so interesting. But that's a perfect transition to low light. So first off, I just want to say your book, Grow in the Dark, How to Choose and Care for Low Light Houseplants is so awesome. I just read it this week and I just love how simply everything is laid out and you explain low light, how to understand low light, how to care for your plants just so simply. It's just so digestible and I just really appreciate it. So can we just kind of go over an overarching kind of definition of low light and how we can understand in our apartments if we have a low light area of the apartment? Well, let's first of all, like to understand what low light is, we're going to talk in foot candles. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm just going to talk into in for a second in foot okay. candles, which is just a measurement of light. 
Yes. And it's, we're not going to get into the scientific because we don't need to. But the point is, is that outside in the full sun is about 10,000 foot candles. Our okay. houses in one of the corners or even in a north window may be as low as 20 foot candles right. you know, or 200 foot candles. Or when you bring your plants in that maybe have been out in the sun for the summer, you can understand then why they react the way they do because they're coming from such high light mm-hmm. into our low light. Or even, you know, coming from Florida, I just actually did a um, talk to Justin Hancock from Costa Farms. And I was asking about, I was talking about acclimating your houseplants. And I was Mm -hmm. wondering how, you know, in Florida, they grow them under shade cloths so that they can be acclimated to coming into our homes. They may grow like a ZZ plant, which we know it can take really low light under 85% shade cloth. That means it's blocking 85% of the sun because if they just sent them from Florida, growing out in the full sun, put them in a truck, right. shut them up here. I'm in Michigan, send them to Michigan and then put them in a store. They're going to react so badly that they probably wouldn't even be alive by the time they got to our house. So they mm-hmm. grow them in the shade so that they're used to our low light houses. Huh? That's so amazing. The first thing I tell people is you need to decide or figure out which way your windows face. And yes. you would be surprised how many people do not know which way their windows face or even their homes. So like I said, we are, have a garden center. People will come in and they'll ask us, you, you will ask them, am I selling you a highlight plant or a low light plant? Same thing with a house plant. Do you want a, you want a cactus? Do you have the light for it? Which mm-hmm. way do your window that you're going to put it in or near face? And they actually say the road, the street. Right. <laughs> that does nothing for me. In my talks, I'm very sarcastic and I'm like, if the sun comes up in the morning in your window, it faces east. If you're drinking coffee, right? You're probably drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, in the afternoon, the sun is in your window and the sun's going down and you're maybe having a glass of wine, it's (laughs) west. (laughs) If you never get any sun, it's north. That is also taking into account the fact that you may have overhangs, buildings next door, trees, Mm -hmm. shrubs outside your windows. I'm talking totally unblocked. So you just have to decide, figure out what you have to work with because you have to work with what you have. Exactly. And I think, you know, I had no idea in my apartment before I became a crazy plant lady where I was facing. I think a lot of people, especially living in cities, don't. But yes, so in terms of the, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but in terms of understanding your windows, the strongest light is Southern exposure the second strongest is Western because it's setting and it's hotter as it like rises throughout the day. The third strongest is Eastern because it's a little softer because it's rising. And then the fourth, the least strong is North because it's never actually entering your window. Correct? Perfect. Very good. You explained okay. it much better than I could. <laughs> I've just had to to learn it myself. And do you have any suggestions for people if they want to figure out their exposure, how they can? I know that some like Summer Rain just like uses her like compass on her app on her phone. That does work. Or mm-hmm. just watch your window. Is the sun right. coming up in it? But if you're like you say, I again am working, I'm here in the suburbs. So if you, I've never been in a high-rise apartment that's next door to a next high-rise apartment, so the sun may mm-hmm. never reach your window anyway. Then the whole point is is moot, right? So, totally. You know, I also say if you put your hand in the window and you get a very crisp shadow, like, yep, there's my hand, and you can even see my outlines of my rings. It's so 
you know, such a crisp shadow, that's probably pretty good bright light. Yeah. Whereas if you put your hand in that window at the time when you see any sun or any light coming through and there's hardly any shadow, I can barely read, you know, when I'm sitting even next to that window, then you have really low light. Mm. I like that idea. That takes me back to like, I'm a performer. Like if you're in like a bright spotlight where you can see your shadow or not. (laughs) If you can read a book in the middle of the day in the area that you want to put a plant and you don't have to have a light on, you probably can grow some kind of plant. Whereas if it's dark, dark enough that you need, even need to turn a light on in the day, then you might be a little challenged finding a plant that will survive there. And the important part with that, because I love that analogy as well, but the important part with that is all of the lights in your apartment have to be off because this has to be the natural light that you're measuring. Because some people are like, yeah, my apartment's bright because they don't even like realize the lights are on. Actually, that was an issue with me with my kitchen. Like, the lights were on. I was getting some, you know, bright indirect light, but also like, I don't think I truly understood how dark it actually was without the lights on. Ideally, everyone has established now, you can also go back and listen to my two-part series with Leslie Halleck, Understanding Natural Light. So let's just assume now that everyone listening has defined what areas of their apartment are low light and that they want to bring plants to them and have them survive (laughs) and ideally thrive. So what do we need to take into consideration when trying to find plants that fit a low light scenario? I listened to your podcast with Summer Rain about plants that don't have tags. But if your Mm -hmm. plant does have a tag, you've Googled the name. If there's not a picture on it, you've Googled it and the picture matches your plant. So you know it has the right plant tag. Really, Mm -hmm. a lot of times the plant tags do have a low, medium, or high light, and they do have the name and some information on them. A lot of times they don't. So that's helpful. You know, if it says, if it says low light, then you could probably be fine in your north window or a few feet back or six feet back, probably from a west window or a south window. Um, If it says medium light, then you can safely assume it's going to do pretty good in your east, definitely do well in your east window. Maybe if you have a kind of a bright north window or in your west window. And then highlight is definitely your south or your west. What about watering? Like does watering differ with a low light plant? Yes. So if a plant is in a low light situation, it is not getting as much sun. And we all know that the sun is what gives the plant its food. It photosynthesizes. So if it's getting less light, it's photosynthesizing less. So it's not using as much water. So it's definitely going to use less water, low light, lower water, higher light, more water. Right. So basically in low light, because it's getting less sun, and we're actually going to talk about this, Leslie's coming back on the show again for another light episode, because it's getting less sun, it's going to probably be photosynthesizing at a slower rate. So therefore it's not going to need as much water and you have to be careful with watering. So I guess if you're going to be putting a plant in a lower light area, especially those first couple of months, you're going to want to make sure that you're not overwatering it, kind of play with how much water you give it. Correct. And be, that being said, I always tell everyone that I water every plant the same way, meaning I water it until water runs out the drainage hole mm-hmm. that every plant needs, in my opinion. And then I may not water the cactus or succulent which I know Mm -hmm. is highlight, but it's also a succulent or a low light plant again for a really long time, maybe even a month or more, maybe more than that. Whereas if it's a high moisture loving plant or a plant in higher light, I may water it again, you know, next week, but you still water them the same so that the water, because I used to be one of those people that, especially with cactus, 
until I joined the Cactus Society and learned many, many years right. ago, I would just give it a little bit of water because it's a cactus. It only needs a little bit of water. No, now I know you water it all the way through, but you may not water it again for a month or two. So it's the frequency that changes. It's not the depth. Correct. That's correct. Okay. That's good to know. When you bring your plant home from the nursery, like we all have to understand that even cost, you know, you say Costa uses a shade cloth, like 30% of the crazy Florida sun is probably still more than what our apartments are going to give, let alone like our low light areas of our apartment. So I think it's really important that when people bring plants home to understand that that first month, that plant is going through a big transition and it might drop a few leaves. A few leaves might turn yellow in that process and that's okay. Like you have to give it time. So what are your recommendations for letting a plant adjust to your apartment, especially if it's a low light apartment? I know we're talking low light, but if there's a possible way that you can, you know, I know it, it may not be the plant you're going to put in that final window situation, but if you get it closer to the window and then slowly move it back mm -hmm. to get it acclimatized. Yeah. You know, I just wrote a blog post because I went into an office building, my friend's office, and there was a highlight ficus in the corner of her windowless office, which has, you know, fluorescent lights on five days a week. Sometimes, you know, maybe sixth day, but from, you know, eight o'clock to five 30 and it was doing lovely. It had a, had new growth. It was sparse, but it didn't, it wasn't awful. It didn't look like it was dying. And I think plants finally, even, I mean, that was a highlight plant, a ficus, not a fiddle leaf, but definitely, you know, a ficus benjamina, but it was doing fine. I think plants can acclimate to what you're giving them to some extent. Right. You know, it wasn't a thriving full, you know, looks like it just came from the nursery plant, but it still was a beautiful plant that was kind of sparser, you know, they are going to drop, they're going to drop leaves when you bring them home, even definitely ficus always do. Mm -hmm. But a plant's only going to keep the leaves that it can support with the light it is receiving. Right. If it was receiving a lot of light, it could support a lot of leaves. Now it comes to your house, it can't support all those leaves. So it's going to drop them. So it's natural, it will probably acclimate and recover and do what it's supposed to do. And in the meantime, make sure that once a plant drops a lot of leaves, it's going to need less frequent watering, right? Because mm -hmm. now it doesn't have as many leaves. Oh, interesting. Even in that transition. Right. Okay. And then, you know, you got to remember your plants also transition, even if they've been sitting in your house for two or three years or whatever, when we have to kick the heat on in the fall, even though they're getting less light, so they're not photosynthesizing as much. When you kick that heat on, it's just sucking all the water out of the air, all the humidity and from the plant. So for a couple of weeks, you may have to up your watering just a bit in the fall just because the heat went on. Same in the spring with the air conditioning. Not only is the light going up, now your air conditioner is going on, which is also taking the humidity out of the air. You may have to water a little more then. So really watch your watering in the spring and the fall during those transitions of yeah, going on, air conditioning going on. We find in our apartment, because we're in New York, so we get really cold winters with the heat just raging and then really hot summers where we like are blasting our AC and our AC is right next to all of our plants, like in each room. We're trying to monitor the moisture kind of year round, <laughs> whether it's, you know, dealing with the heat or dealing with air conditioning. And, you know, Billy, my boyfriend and partner in plants, like loves misting 
the plants when he can. And like, we do what we do what we can to, you know, we give them moss poles that we try to keep moist to like kind of let off some, some moisture as well. But yes, totally. It's, it's unfortunate that the heat vents and the air conditioner are always in, right underneath next the window. to that window. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. next. So in, my, in my first book, I tell him to go buy one of those little, it's like a heat directing thing. It's like a little... It like pushes the air kind of away from the window. Across right? the floor. Yeah. It doesn't make it go up anymore. Yeah. It's a little thing that covers it and makes it shoot out across the floor. So you're not having that hot air blowing right on your plants and that little dinner bell for the spider mites is ringing. I know. Yeah. We have RACs. RACs have the like grates that kind of can move. So we have them pointed towards the floor or like towards the middle of the room as much as possible. And then we just pray. Right. With your plants adjusting, I will also say I have a Boston fern that I have almost killed probably three times because we don't have space in our apartment for humidifiers. Like we're not a moisture friendly, you know, a high moisture friendly place uh, apartment. But I got this Boston Fern when I was starting out and I missed it when I remember to. And then I don't. And like I've just, it's, I've brought it to the brink of death a couple of times. But I'll say that it has adjusted like, it's wild. It's now grown in so healthy. It's so happy. And it doesn't require the moisture that I think it did when I initially brought it home. And I think that's kind of come from, you know, it kind of almost dying a couple of times, but growing back and being more used to our conditions. Right. So I kind of tell people, I know that Boston ferns, that's a lot of people have them outside here in the summers mm-hmm. on their front porches. Yeah. And they're so beautiful and lush. They're like, I can't throw that away. I'm bringing it in and it drops every leaflet. Yeah. You know, till every frond is just a piece of a stick. Oh my God. It's a, like little sticks. Yes. Yes. I tell them I've had my Boston fern. It's a type of Boston fern since 1985. Mm-hmm. And it still drops leaves or leaflets because that's what every, every fern's going to do. And right. I, it's not a lot and I clean it up and I move on because it's grandma's plant and I don't care what it does. Mm-hmm. I will accommodate it. Right. But because it's always been inside, I don't really move my house plants outside for the summer like a lot of mm-hmm. people. It would take me a month to do that. Right. And a month to get them back in. They're actually they're house plants. So I think when a plant gets used to the spot it's in, it has acclimated. My fern is acclimated to my house. It's been there in that window, not moved for twenty one years unless I move it for the Christmas tree and then it goes into another room and drops its leaflets, but it, it always recovers and it goes right back where it was. And it, it's been happy. And they're like, I don't know how you can have a fern in your house. It mine are all, they always die because yeah. you're bringing it from inside outside. If you start with a smaller plant, you bring it home right away and it gets used to your conditions. It will do much better than bringing them in and out. And granted, we're also talking about a Boston fern, which is one of the hardier ferns in the fern family. I feel like you couldn't pay me to keep a maidenhair fern alive in my apartment. Oh, you know, like I don't even, are, I've, I've, I've given up. Actually, I have yeah. one in a terrarium right now. It's doing right, wonderful. It was in a terrarium <laughs> for sure. So like the, take, everyone take that advice with a grain of salt. Like it really does depend on what plants you're bringing in. And that's up to you to kind of empower yourself to know like, okay, I want to try a fern, but, and you have so many great fern options in your book. Interesting ferns, like really cool ferns I had never seen before, but like, you know, m- make sure you're bringing a hardier version home and not like a maiden hair or a, um, what's the other one that's famous for? I'm having problems with a terrace break fern. It, mine, I bring them home and they're lush and fabulous and mm-hmm. I try not to let them dry out. And I don't know, they just don't seem to jive with my life. What about fertilizing? Does your fertilizing schedule differ in a low light environment? That is a good question. I hadn't thought about that. I'm not a 
I have to be honest with you, I'm not the most consistent person when it comes to fertilizing. But I would think because you're, I always say you could do it full strength every fourth watering or a quarter strength every watering. So yes, it's definitely going to change because you're not watering it as often. So if you said every fourth watering, you're only fertilizing your low light plants. Every fourth watering may be every fourth month or you know what I mean? Right. Maybe every once every two or three months compared to maybe you have a plant you have to water once a week. So right. And you'd water it, definitely fertilize it every month. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And just like talking through it, I guess we're fertilizing to replenish the nutrients that the plant e- either uses or that get washed out during the waterings. So Correct. if we're watering less and if the plant is photosynthesizing slower, you can probably not fertilize as much as you would a plant in a highlight window. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That checks out. So another concept you talked about in your book that I just think is a fun word, like a fun vocab word to learn is phototropism. So I'm sure if we're dealing with low light environments, we're going to deal with phototropism. So what is it? And if you get the book, the plant that's shown, that is a plant that was about, I'm looking, I'm measuring it right now, about five, five and a half feet from a west window. And I didn't turn it like I should have. Every plant is going to lean toward the light because remember what's feeding it like we lean toward the refrigerator, right? (laughs) It's going to lean for the, it's going to head for the, uh, for the light. So your plant's going to grow toward the light. And if it's not in the highest, the best optimal light situation, it's in Mm -hmm. a low light situation and would like more light, it's going to reach for the sun. So that's why it's important. Every time you water your plant and sometimes more often, you're going to turn it a quarter turn, keep turning it so that it always, each side of your plant's going to get the same amount of light. And a really good example of that is my daughter had a Christmas cactus or a holiday cactus, and she was like, so excited that it was blooming. She goes, Mom, I got it to bloom. And I'm like, oh, that's so exciting. She goes, but it's only blooming on one side because she hadn't turned it all year because they, wow. really like, they don't really like grow toward the light. I mean, they kind of do, but not as much maybe as some other plants. Right. And she just didn't think about turning it. So the buds only sat, you know, the, the only thing that makes your plant bloom too is the sun. So it only that one side of the plant got enough light to trigger blooming. So she oh my had a God. plant that bloomed on one half. So that's another reason to always make sure you're turning your plants so that if a plant such as a holiday cactus would then bloom all the way around. I experienced this in the most hilarious way. I had a southern facing window that I have a rose scented geranium in, like a cutting that I took that has grown and I was not rotating the plants. And I looked at the plant and from the inside of the apartment and I was like, it looks kind of leggy, like it looks kind of weird. And I went up to it and I was just kind of observing it and I picked up the pot and I noticed literally 50, like all of the leaves were smacked up against the window. So the plant was like the bushiest, fullest plant on the window facing side and nothing on my facing side. And then when I flipped the plant, it was like, you know, now from the inside for like three days, it looked so bushy and full and amazing. And then the leaves also started slowly like rotating. But yeah, it's also kind of a fun game. I mean, when I first kind of realized what phototropism is, like, it's amazing to rotate a plant and watch the leaves react to the sun that way. Now they're like, I need the sun. It's crazy. And it, I feel like for me, it like knocked into perspective that like these are real living things and they really do need the light. And they're like living and breathing and moving the way we are in our life. You know, if you're new to plants and you're still kind of grasping that idea and maybe just using plants as like a decorative thing 
that will like really knock it into place that like, oh, like this thing is like doing its own life, like fighting for itself, you know? Well, and I think a lot of the decorating shows on TV make people believe that plants are just decorative accessories. Mm-hmm. I just cringe when I see a fiddly fig in the dark corner. I know. 10 feet away from the window. And I'm like, oh, that's Stop not doing a, the that. easy yeah. plant, but it's not, that's certainly not where it belongs. And, you know, some of these herbs, a lot of people have herbs inside. I don't think herbs are really, unless you have extra electric light mm-hmm. or a hot south window, most herbs don't do well in a house either. Yeah. That's, just like you said, like you can absolutely, I have a fiddly fig in the darkest corner of my apartment, but I have a really nice grow light on top of it, you know, cause I want it in, I want that look of the fiddly fig in the corner, but I know better than to just stick it there and watch it die. There's such cool lights now that you can just get a little spotlight that you hang from the mm-hmm. ceiling and, and highlight your plant. Plus it's really pretty to have that, especially at night, maybe you're watching TV and you still have that mm-hmm. grow light on and it's all the leather lights are off. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really lovely. And I mean, I'm a grow light maniac. I have five of them in my apartment because once I realized the low light I was living in, I was like, oh boy, I got too many plants. I got to I gotta backfill with, with grow lights now. But I think that's interesting. Well, let's talk about if you have low lights, you have a section in your book that's 15 ways to enhance your sunlight. So you don't have to give me 15 ways. People can buy your book to get all 15. But what are some hacks there with if you do have low light situation and you want to make the best of your windows and your high, you know, whatever your highlight areas are, how can you enhance your sunlight? Well, I know if you're in an apartment, you can't do anything about the outside of your windows. Yes. But you'd be surprised how dirty the inside of your windows get. Mm-hmm. So wash your windows, people. I know. That's, <laughs> that's my number simple... one. Of, it's so simple. It's so simple, but it's so real. It is. And mm-hmm. I don't know why, but sometimes the insides are, I don't know if I have a fireplace. So maybe it's the, the soot or something. Sometimes you wash your windows like, what is this black stuff on my windows? This is yeah. awful. Of course, it rains as soon as you wash your windows, but right. definitely wash your windows. <laughs> and also on, in the same, wash your plants. Your plants are collecting dust you know, dust them, take them to the sink and give them a nice spray, take them to the shower, give them a shower, whatever you can do, use a brush, use a paintbrush, get the dirt off your leaves because that's blocking. Anything that's on those leaves is blocking photosynthesis, Mm -hmm. blocking the light from getting through curtains. Who needs curtains when your windows are full of plants, get rid of the curtains and the blinds, or at least open your blinds during the day. Mm -hmm. If they're not getting light, they're not growing. One of my listeners, Rachel builds in shelves in her window to maximize the space of her window. She like built shelving in kind of in her windowsill. So she has like four kind of shelves of plants in the window. And it's exactly that. It's like she doesn't need blinds because like her window from top to bottom is literally like filled with plants, all like making the best of the sun. Yeah. Some of them are just funny. You know, like I said, if you see your neighbors outside getting ready to paint their house, because I know dark gray houses are very in right now. Mm Mm-hmm and they have a paint swatch in their hand, you just go over there and give your two cents that the lightest one on the paint swatch is light gray or right. just bar- barely barely off white would be the best for you because it's going to reflect light into your house. Right. Dark houses aren't reflecting any light. So, um, you know, trees outside. If you have a tree outside, if it needs maybe need to be trimmed or at least be aware of it, that that's going to block some of your sun. Place mirrors. Mirrors work good too. Yeah. Even with your indoor, you said, you know, try and paint your walls as light as possible because they'll reflect the light. A light color will reflect the light onto your plants. And I'd never thought about actually having a use, trying to use a mirror to strategically do that as well. 
Well, it's not, I don't think it's probably, and I don't even know if it's scientifically proven. You know, it does reflect light. If the sun hits a mirror, it's going to reflect light back into the room and it's going to help. Every mm-hmm. little bit helps, right? Every or little bit a, helps. And a light on at night, you know, maybe you have a plant on your side table that gets decent light, mm-hmm. but even if it's an incandescent bulb, which isn't the best, it's still, if you have a light on for another four or five hours at night, especially when winter comes here and it's dark at five o'clock, that's definitely going to give your plant more light. It's going right. to help a little bit. So whatever, every little bit helps. So you can defer to Lisa's book if you want to learn the other ways, but there's 15. And you also had a couple of suggestions on how to make the most of the light that you have. Like I loved suggesting to kind of build a little shelf out on your window to kind of expand the space of your windowsill. Yes, I have a, it was actually a shelf that was, when we moved here, it was a shelf that had been in my daughter's room with little knickknacks on it. And I'm like, oh, this would be perfect under the window. So now, of course, I had to take a foot of it is empty of plants because that's where the kitty cat sits to look out the window. <laughs> I'm like, oh, because the windowsill is only, what, three inches wide? That doesn't give you a lot of space for plants. So now right. I have little plants on the windowsill and then this shelf underneath that has a, a snake plant that just bloomed in my west window. First mm. time I've had that in that west window. I, oh I don't know how many years, but mm-hmm. many, many years. I just repotted it and it's been growing like crazy. And it bloomed on the side. I must have turned it though, because I just didn't realize it when I repotted it, but it bloomed on the side, not even facing the window, but it has never bloomed as long Ugh. as I've had it. So I don't know if it was the fresh soil, you know, yeah. fresh space. It was like, oh, and then it just sent up a bloom for me to thank me. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, I'm so jealous. Yeah, and then in my dining room, I have a, I, like you said, like that lady did, I have a shelf going across the middle of the window. So I have window cell. And then I have, of course, a table in front of it with plants, then a shelf, and then... And you can also hang plants close to your window at the top to kind of utilize that upper space that like no one, you know, your cat isn't going to jump onto. And one of the questions from our listeners was great low-light plants that are non-toxic. But another hack that if you do have animals to hang stuff from your ceiling or like from the top of your window where your animals can't grab it or touch it is a great idea. If you Aren't want to be glad those. that macram- macrame is back. I'm so excited. Macrame is so in. I also just have really enjoyed learning how to do it. It's like so relaxing. Yes. Um, I've been doing it for, you don't want to know how I I'm old enough to have been here when the first craze was here. Oh my God. I was, that's I, I was a little girl, but my aunt taught me to do it when I was little. So I love that. I want to do a whole episode on variegation because I'm so curious about it, but you talk about how if you have a variegated plant and this is variegated white that we, I think, think about, but also like if a plant has colors in it, that is going to affect its ability to thrive in low light. So can you talk a little bit about that? I saw that question on the Facebook and I I guess I'd never really thought about the science behind it. You know, I know chlorophyll is what is in those cells of the plants that make them green. And it's because the plant absorbs the blue and red light, but it reflects their sun, I should say, reflects the green light. So that's why our plants appear green. But if you buy a plant that's, you know, like, let's say like a variegated pothos and it's got the yellow flecks in it, or it may be the white marble queen. And then you get it home and you put it, cause you know, pothos are for low light, right? So mm-hmm. I can put it in a low light situation. And then all of a sudden your new growth is turning greener or completely green. The variegation is gone. And you're that, that's not why I bought this plant, but just know that p- variegated plants need more light to stay variegated. Mm. And so if you put it in low light, it's going to turn green. Every croton you've ever brought in the house, we all love crotons. Who doesn't right. love crotons? 
I mean, I love color, orange, yellow, green, blue, whatever, not blue, but I love it. But then you bring them in, even in my, I have a sunroom, even in there, they, they usually turn quite a, I mean, there'll be a little bit of color, but mostly they turn green. Yeah. That's a rule of thumb we learned in episode two, actually with succulents was the darker, the green, the easier the succulent will thrive in an apartment because apartments are always just going to be lower light. So the brighter, weird, pink, purple, white succulents you get, the more light they need because they have less real estate to actually, right, like to actually photosynthesize. So that makes sense that, you know, if you have a low light, you're going to want to stick to dark green or fully green plants. Right. Because that's their way of acclimatizing. If I can't keep this, like, just like dropping leaves that they can't support, if they mm-hmm. can't support that beautiful color, right. they have to survive. So they're like, I need, I need more chlorophyll in here. So bye-bye right. color. <laughs> or if you get one, just understand that it's probably going to not be as vibrant as when you brought it home from the nursery. Right. That's why I put a horthia in, you know, horthias are very low light tolerant. Yes. So that's why even that's the only succulent you'll find in, well, not the only Me succulent. Too. you got Sansevieria in there, but one of the succulents that are not a snake plant and have that rosette cool mm-hmm. look, and they will take a lower light than most I think most they're the succulents. coolest. They're my favorite. I love them. They're my Worthy favorite. Limifolia is one of my favorite plants. Yeah. They're so great. They're the unsung succulent hero, you know? <laughs> yes, for sure. Let me look at some listener questions I want to ask you. Okay, so office plants. So one of our listeners, Martina, asked that what it – so she has an office that has no light. I would assume she's probably in a cubicle, but she has access to a sunny windowsill on the weekends. So she's saying that she wants to keep her plants in her no-light cubicle for five days, Monday through Friday, and then move it to the highlight window for two days. So is that cycling? And another listener also asked what to do. Alyssa asked, what does she do if she has a no light space? Can she just rotate plants every two weeks, like rotate some in the windowsill and then put it in like the no light room? So what's your opinion on like on rotating? Well, and I do tell people that like I have a really dark family room because the sunroom is attached to it and it kind of blocks the light. And so Do I want a snake plant or, you know, I love snake plants. Do I want one over there on the corner in the darkest corner of the room? Yes. So I buy two of them that Mm -hmm. look alike because they're easy to find. Mm -hmm. And then I'll put one, I'll just, you can rotate them every so often to keep them and, you know, put it out in the light and then put the one in the dark. Mm -hmm. So it will work. But on the other hand, I take care of the plants at my church and there was a African violet on the, about six feet from the south window. Perfect. It was doing great. It looked lovely. I came back the next week. It was burnt. It was practically dead. And the someone had moved it into that south windowsill. Mm-hmm. So I would have to say, number one, it depends on the plant. You could not do that with a plant that does not want to be in highlight, like mm-hmm. an African violet. It burnt. I mean, so even inside, your plants can get burnt, not just like taking them out on the patio, but even changing them from a low light to a highlight situation. So it would depend on the plant. If it was like a maybe like a snake plant or something that can tolerate either, it would probably be okay. Okay. So be careful with what you're choosing because understand Correct. that you're putting that plant in super extremes. So yes. maybe also don't stick it right in the southern windowsill, but maybe move it a little bit farther back. Exactly. You know, a foot back or something. So it's like not going to get totally scorched. Right. Because I mean, the lights are going off in the office 
for two days, right? Mm-hmm. So any extra light you can give it is it's going to be helpful. Just maybe not put it as close to that south window as you could. Put it back a couple feet. I also will say too, if you are in an office with no light and you want plants, there are like some really cute small, like modern sprout. I've been sending them as gifts to my friends who have cubicles. They have these tiny little grow frames now that you can like stick in a cubicle and it has a little grow light in it and it almost looks like a frame and it's on a timer so you can stick plants in it and like they'll actually flower. So like- Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And they're tiny. So they're like, they can like totally fit in a cubicle. So I also feel like if you really want plants like full time in your cubicle, I think, and you have a budget to invest in a grow light or two, you can probably find like a cute grow light that you can probably stick in your cubicle. Yeah. Or even just stick it on the, you know, they have clip lights that would work. But Mm -hmm. like I said, you would be amazed what your plant can tolerate and actually do well in when I saw that ficus growing in the dark corner with a you know, a fluorescent light six feet above it mm-hmm. and over about two feet. And it was still doing really well. And that was a highlight plant. So, you yeah. know, there are plants that will do quite well with that fluorescent light. I was talking with Leslie on a different episode and she was saying how her office, because she had the office swap out to T5 bulbs, it just in the ceiling that her like African violets will flower in her office that doesn't have windows because of the like amount of time that the lights are on that her plants get. So I think it also depends on what actual lights are in the ceiling. Sometimes they are grow bulbs, LED, you know, T5 lights. Right. Or they're changing over from those. I still am living in the dark ages because mm-hmm. my I have a couple of light stands with some succulent and African violets. And there's I'm still using the T12s because I haven't changed over. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I love <laughs> I'm, it. <laughs> I'm way behind over here. Plant friends, I am so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, A Floating Bed and Breakfast, aka one of the plantiest Airbnb experiences you will ever experience. So Nicole, who is a crazy plant lady, and she's actually a listener of the Bloom and Grow Radio podcast, has two houseboats that are absolutely filled and styled impeccably with houseplants that are available as listings on Airbnb. I can't tell you, plant friends, these houseboats are like mini floating jungles in Norfolk, Virginia, and they just make for the most unique and relaxing getaway. So two weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to rent the boats out, and I stayed with my friends on both boats. We had so much fun. The setting is so peaceful. The boats are so unique, and it was just such a planty, fun experience. I got to take photos in every planty corner of the boat. We had seaside seafood feast that was so delicious. And then we spent the entire night drinking, relaxing, singing, having amazing conversation on the outdoor space overlooking the water. It is unbelievable. I also got to watch the sunrise over the marina in the morning, which was so magical and a moment I won't soon forget. So a floating bed and breakfast has two plant-filled boats. The first one, the original one, is called the Lois Elaine. It hosts two people. It has one bedroom with a full-size bed. It's perfect for a couple's getaway. I definitely want to take Billy back. And it's just so adorably decorated and has over a hundred plants on this tiny little boat. It's amazing. And the Stan 
Manly Lee, which is her newest boat, has two bedrooms. It sleeps up to six, has the most gorgeous emerald green velvet couch with seashell pillows. I like can't even stand it. And that boat would be perfect for a family or a group of friends. Or you can do what me and my friends do and actually rent both boats and just do a complete dock takeover. So rent them for date nights, for overnights, girls weekends, photo shoots, or just an opportunity to completely disconnect and enjoy listening to the water around you and looking at all of these gorgeous plants. So if you're in the Norfolk area and you're interested in coming aboard, Nicole is offering you guys 20% off by writing her directly and saying Maria sent you. So check out theloiselainehouseboat.com and tell her Maria sent you. And I left two houseplants, one on each boat, with the Bloom and Grow radio sticker on each pot. So the first person to stay in one of the boats, find the pot, and send me a sticker will get a free Bloom and Grow radio mug. If you're interested in staying, go to theloiselainehouseboat.com and write Nicole directly and tell her Maria sent you for 20% off. YouTube watchers in this podcast listening community. I know you know that I've recently updated my YouTube game over there on the plant tube, plant YouTube, but I wanted to make sure you knew of another one of the original plant tubers and my friend Nick Pelleggi of Nick Pelleggi Plants. You might remember Nick as the guest on the podcast for the Peperomia 101 care episode way back when. You got to scroll way down the feed to listen to that episode. But Nick is really known for his planty YouTube channel that has so much fun plant content like plant care tutorials, planty styling tips, unboxings, tours. And I particularly love his top five or ten lists of plants that he's currently loving or not loving. His collection of plants is so extensive. I feel like whenever I watch one of his videos, I always add a plant that I don't have onto my planty wish list. But don't take it from me. Check him out on YouTube if you like watching YouTube by typing in Nick Pileggi, P-I-L-E-G-G-I, or go to youtube.com slash Nick Plants and subscribe. All right, let's learn more about low-light plants. One of our Patreon supporters, Casey Brown, asked, and a few other people asked, you know, we understand how many blogs are there, plants that survive in no light, like top five low light house plants. And it's Sansevieria, ZZ plant, philodendron, lucky bamboo, and dracaena and ferns. Like we all know that like those are the normal low light plants. Um, and we love them for it. I mean, I think those five are like some of my favorite plants and most of the plants that I have in my apartment. But the thing I like about your book is I'd love to talk about, you have 50 plants outlined in your book that like will thrive in low light. So what I was thinking would be fun is if we picked five more unusual plants for our plant friends who already have, you know, some, maybe you have 30 plants in your apartment in your highlight scenarios and you want to expand, but you don't want, you know, you've already got a million pothos or philodendron, some more interesting plants to talk about. So would you be down for that? Sure. So first off, so Lucky Bamboo, I feel like I see it in so many like no light scenarios. And I feel like people always say, oh, well, bamboo will like thrive anywhere. Like you can't kill a bamboo. First off, I had no idea that it's a Dracaena. It is. Yes. So can, like, <laughs> what? Like, what is it? Let's just learn about Lucky Bamboo a little bit because that was a page in your book that I was like, oh my God, I had no idea about this. Well, it is a Dracaena, and so a lot of the Dracaenas or Dracaena or however you say it, they do take low light. They have right. usually they have pretty wide leaves. They have dark green leaves. I know there's some brighter color ones, but they just seem to 
thrive in low light. So that's why Lucky Bamboo Mm -hmm. does so well in lower light. And what's good is you usually don't overwater it or underwater it because it's growing in water. Why is it growing in water? Is it an aquatic plant? Well, it can be. If you go to the aquarium stores, they Mm -hmm. have them right in the aquarium. So, But any plant, I have Sansevierias that I've had, I don't know how many years ago. See, I never can remember years. Mm -hmm. Maybe 15 years ago, maybe even 20. Getting little plants grown hydroponically was very kind of an in thing that you would find all the time in all your grocery stores and okay. garden centers. So I have Sansevieria that I've had for at least 15 years and they've been in this just growing hydroponically. So any plant can grow in water. So even though if it's not an aquatic plant, which obviously Sansevierias are not, right, they will grow in water. You could do that with any plant. And we've also seen that the lucky bamboo that you buy that's like kind of curly cued or like in different directions is actually them forcing phototropism, right? That is correct. I found that out. They like lamb and then they twirl them and they keep doing that to make those weird curly Q shapes. That's wild and kind of makes me sad for them, but (laughs) wild nonetheless. So lucky bamboo. So that's just fun facts about lucky bamboo, which is like so common of a low light plant, but maybe you didn't know. So let's start with the jewel orchid. I love my jewel orchid. The one in the picture, of course, I've had I've had that for many years. That's why it's so long because they get kind of long. And it's probably doubled in size since I took this picture. It's kind of crazy. Right now, it's probably five feet from an east window. So, I mean, it really will take low light. But it does have some pretty amazing blooms. These big white spikes come up and they bloom. I don't know if it will bloom there. But when I had it right in my east window, it bloomed religiously every year. But even if they don't bloom, the foliage is amazing. And there's a lot of different kinds of jewel orchids out there. They have like little green veins going through them that look like lightning strikes. That's really a beautiful group of plants. Yeah, they have little leaves that kind of, the one in this picture has pink pinstripes. So if maybe you don't want to deal with a calathea, but you like the pinstripes of a calathea, but you don't want to deal with how finicky they are, a jewel orchid might be a fun idea. And it is, I've never, it is a real orchid, right? It is. Yes. So I feel like I've never seen an orchid. This almost looks like, because probably it's so old, it almost looks like a trailing plant. It like, is. I mean, right now it's trailing down probably two feet down. I have it up on a little stand on top of a like a hutch and it's trailing quite long. And you can take those off and, it, what, and you can tell from the picture when you see it, they have really succulent stems too. So it's pretty forgiving of watering too. So that is so it's another plus. Yes. I mean, it would rather be kept moist and it does lose a few. That's why mine are probably have long stems like that with no leaves on them mm-hmm. because I've let them dry out before. When you have a thousand, I don't know how many house plants I have. I don't count. When you have as many as I do, some of them get neglected unintentionally. Right. So the leaves will turn brown that are lower, the older leaves. So that's probably why I have some bare stems, but it's pretty amazing how forgiving they are and how easy they are to propagate. Yeah. So you can just be making constant gifts for your friends. Yes. Holiday that's gifts. Right. So next one that, and I'm just a sucker for anything that looks like a watermelon, honestly, but because two of the plants kind of look like watermelons that I'm, that I chose in your book. And I love watermelon peperomia as well. Parallel peperomia, which is called peperomia puteolata, puteolata. You're probably better than, than I am. Yes. So peperomia in general are pretty low light tolerant and there's so many different varieties, but what do you like so much about this variety? You know, you can't tell texture as well in a picture, but those parallel stripes running through the leaves are actually indented 
so that's so sometimes they call it parallel, but I've heard it like corrugated, you know, it's mm-hmm. like corrugated cardboard. That's how indented they are. Oh and yeah. So, it does look like that. Yeah. And it's really thick. They're really thick leaves. So once again, mm-hmm. pretty drought tolerant. Okay. Thicker leaf is more drought tolerant than a thin leaved plant. Mm-hmm. Good to know. So that's a good thing when you're going, if you're not a good water, a waterer, is that a word? Yeah, a, sure. A consistent water. Anything is a word. Anything <laughs> is a word on the Bloom and Grow Radio podcast. Yeah, I allow all of it, all the mispronunciation, all the fake words. Yeah. So it's that's no why when you buy a Fitonia and it's got those really, or a Hypoestes, a pink polka dot plant, mm-hmm. and they dry out and they faint and you're like, oh man, because their leaves are so thin. So right. this one's got really thick leaves. I still have this. It's in the same pot and it is going gangbusters. It's not considered a hanging plant, but it is a cascading plant because those things that are sticking straight up in the picture are now so long that they're kind of drooping over the pot. So it could, looks good in a hanging basket as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I feel like most peperomia, if they do have that thicker leaf and a darker colored leaf are pretty tolerant of lower light, right? Yes. Definitely. We also had questions on plants that are non-toxic for dogs and cats and peperomia are not, all peperomia are non-toxic. Yes. So this is one that I, when I saw in your book, I was like, what the hell is this plant? And I'm like, where can I find it? I've never seen it in a plant shop before. To my knowledge, the philodendron myoi tahiti. I found that at a garden, you know, an independent garden center here in suburbs of Detroit. And it's beautiful. I love philodendron. The philodendron, it looks like it's a trailing plant or a climber, but the leaves look like they're small. So they're like, they look like they're like a normal philodendron sized leaf, but they have the ridges in it like almost a monstera, not a monstera, but like the bipinatidium. What's the plant I'm trying to say? Yes, that's what you said. Yes, the philodendron. Yes. It's a big plant that has like crazy, like huge leaves that are like a foot wide and ridges. But this is like almost the mini version that's a hanging pot or trailing variety. And it looks so cool. I love it. I, when I saw it, I'm like, I got to have that. It has gotten really big. And I Mm -hmm. love those leaves that do look like kind of like mini, mini monsteras, but without the penetrations. It is a very nice plant. Yeah, like people who are obsessed, you know, Raphidophora tetrasperma is like so hot right now and obviously Monsteras. This would be such a fun plant, I feel like, to bring home that looks so hardy and so easy to take care of, but is definitely more unique than what I've seen before. When I saw it, it stopped me. I'm like, I I definitely think I need that. And I haven't seen it since, so... And you haven't seen it since. Okay, no. so we've got to find it. Whoever finds it, listeners, tell me, and yeah. I will put the link on Instagram. When you come to Detroit, I'll start a cutting now and see if it will <gasps> be. Well, that's a couple of weeks from now, so probably not. But I will I will give you a cutting. So Okay, cool. Yay, yeah. cutting but plant. Rapha, I, you said that so much faster and better than I can. The, the mini Monstera Raphidophora tetrasperma. Raphidophora. I've had one of those growing in my house for, I don't even know where I got it. I don't remember. And it's like going around the window. I will say too, those plants, I have mine in very indirect light, probably medium to low light. And it's growing like gangbusters. It's grown all over Billy's desk. It's a very hardy plant. It's not, I feel like a lot of these like super sexy popular plants are kind of difficult to take care of, but that plant is very easy once yes. it acclimates to your house. Mine's in a west window, but it's not in the window anymore. Like mm-hmm. it's above the window hitting, right, you know, it went up and it's over. above the ceiling. So really none of the leaves are getting any western sun. So yeah. it's really pretty much in low light because it's above the window and it's doing it's doing really good. Okay. The next one, another plant that I had never seen before that looks so wacky is the plum pine, which is the Podocarpus 
Macrophyllus variegation maki, also known as Buddhist pine and the southern yew. Right. So if you go to Florida or anywhere south that can support it, I think it's like maybe zone seven or eight. They use them just like we use yews here in the north. And it's they're like shrub or they're like hedges. Mm -hmm. This one was actually what you call a pre-bonsai plant. Mm -hmm. And so it's got that kind of a curved trunk that would make a really cool bonsai. Yeah, it looks like a tree. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a little mini tree. And it's it should be in a bonsai pot, but it's not. I just have it in a regular pot. Mm -hmm. And it gets those strappy leaves. It's easy. It doesn't want to dry out. But it, and it's really dark green. So because of that dark green, you can really take some low light. Yeah, I don't have many trees. I, I want to do a bonsai episode because I feel like bonsai are like an entirely different ball game, kind of like orchids are. Like there are plant people that only have bonsai and plant people that only have orchids. They're like a subsect of houseplants. But I don't have many trees in my apartment. And I feel like this could be a really fun, it's very quirky looking too. These can get really big. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, you could definitely have it in the corner and it could get really large. And it can, you know, it will keep its foliage all the way down to the bottom or you can, so it'd be like a big column or you can have that bare stem showing. And what yeah. I was going to say, when you said that about orchids, like that Ludicia, the jewel orchid, that's a terrestrial orchid. So it's not an epiphytic orchid. So mm -hmm. it, it grows in soil. So it, sometimes it is a little easier for people if they want to start out with orchids right? to start with that kind of an orchid. Oh, totally. Because you're putting it in soil and you're not worrying about like the orchid bark and like all the weird yes. things that you have to do to water an orchid. That stressed me out. Correct. Yes. <laughs> um, not an orchid person. Trying to be an orchid person, not an orchid person. The last one, the watermelon vine, which is Pelionia pulcra. Yes. Very good. You're good with the Latin names. I'm not all that. I'm notoriously so bad at Latin that I had to make a Latin 101 episode with my friend Chris because I just butcher Latin on the show. Butcher. I have learned that EH is a hard pulcra, not pultra. You know what yeah, I mean? Pulcra, so yeah. I did learn all that. That's good. So yeah, this watermelon vine, I have found this to be really easy. Mm -hmm. I do have it in some higher light, but it could take lower light. Probably would probably even some, you know, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you put plants in higher light that would like lower light, they get more washed out. Yes. They don't look as nice. Uh-huh. So it could probably, mine could probably use some, not this one, but the one that's in my house right now could probably use some lower light, but it's beautiful and it really is so easy. And in mine flowers in the west window. It's more green than the peperomia that we were talking about before, but it's got this really beautiful, like dark green veins and then almost lime green center. So it is a really right. beautiful kind of pattern on the leaf. I don't actually think it really looks like a watermelon, but I think the other one looks like more of a watermelon than this, but it's still like a really dreamy pattern. It is. It's so pretty. Some people might think it looks like it's necrotic. If you're mm -hmm. one of those people look at it and go, oh, but that could use some iron or something. Yeah. It's, it's veins are dark, but it's leaves aren't, but that's the way it's supposed to look. So mm -hmm. it, it really almost like spider mites. Yeah. Like when a spider mite will suck the color out. That's funny. Yes. Yes. And then it gets, it, it will start vining down and it's, it's very pretty and it does get little tiny blooms, but only if it has enough light. And this one looks like the leaves are thinner. So I would assume it needs. Um, yes. A little, they're definitely thinner than that. The peperomia that we talked about. Yes. And this one's non-toxic to pets too. So do you have like five non-toxic, and they don't have to be rare, but several people have asked non-toxic low light plants. So what would you refer people to for non-toxic options? Well, of course, all the ferns, Aspidistra, Fetonia, the nerve plant, spider plant, of course, peperomias, the parlor palm, calatheas, which I was surprised to find out. Calatheas are not toxic. Selaginella, if you get the little moss, piggyback plant, 
that Pelionia, Hypoestes, the pink polka dot plant, and the prayer plant or Maranta. Maranta, the pink polka dot plant. Oof, I killed one of those That's too. That's the Hypoestes. Yep, because remember, yeah. really thin leaves. Yeah. It needs water a little more often than... The one thing is I didn't choose any ferns because I don't like ferns, but you do have so many fern options I in the book. Ferns. So what's your favorite rare for people who might want a really interesting fern that's not... We've talked about the Boston fern. Bird's nest fern obviously is another super hardy, low light tolerant plant. What's like a really cool fern that you would suggest people getting if they're into ferns? I do have a lot of ferns in here because I'm a fern freak. So... yeah any of the footed ferns, like the green worm fern, which is on page 95. Yes. And they have those green worms wandering around. Mm -hmm. I have a, a, the kangaroo fern is also one with the, that's a footed fern. It has like fuzzy brown. It's so cute. Yep. And I have a rabbit's foot fern that's so old. It's like gone around the pot. Mm-hmm. And literally my sister-in-law was sitting at the, din- the the kitchen table and it's right behind her. And she turned around and she literally jumped out of her chair because she thought I had a tarantula. Like, <laughs> why would she think Lisa would have a tarantula? Because I'm terrified. I don't like spiders. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. I appreciate them. I'm not going to say right. that. Don't, don't any spider lovers call me and hate on me. I appreciate spiders for what they do. I would just rather put them outside so that they can do it out there. The holly fern is really cool. But if you are, if, uh, I think a beginner with ferns, who is like, they're finicky, they feel like they're not going to water it enough or not get enough humidity. Um, I wrote a blog post, it's called the fern for the fern killers. It's called the Austral gem fern. And it's not as hard to find as you think, but it's more, it's kind of almost like rubbery. Mm -hmm. And it really takes, I've had it weeping over the pot because I forgot to water it and it comes right back and it barely misses a beat. We'll include the link to that blog in the show notes. So if people want to learn about it, they can go check the blog out that you just mentioned. Perfect. Okay. So I think that what I'm going to do is we've talked about so many great plants today. I'm going to do my best to create a low light plant Amazon storefront with some of the plants we discussed today and your book. So if people are interested in looking at the plants and possibly buying some plants that we discussed today, you can check out the Amazon storefront that's linked in the show notes. And most importantly, where can we find your book, Grow in the Dark and your other book. And where can we find you and follow you if we want to be educated by the houseplant guru more? You can find all of the above mentioned things all on my website. You can get my books through my website and they they would be signed by me. Or of course, you can find them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of those. And then on my website is thehouseplantguru.com. And what's your other book that you have? Um, my other book is House Plants, and it's more of a the complete guide to choosing, growing, and caring for indoor plants. So it's an all-around, all-inclusive book. And actually, that is coming out in November in a gift form. So it will be like a smaller version of it with a pretty cover and it, you know, just a smaller book to give as a gift. Oh, I love that. So yeah. I'll link to both of the books in the show notes to Amazon and we'll have that Amazon storefront. I hope everyone goes and visits your website and follows you because I just think you can break down these great concepts just very simply for us. And I really appreciate all of the info you've given me. I'm actually kind of excited to think about, not that I'm allowed to buy any more plants for our apartment, but I'm kind of excited to think about what other <laughs> plants I might be able to incorporate. My motto is we all need a little green in our lives. So in my case, more green. So I have a lot of green in this house. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love it. Do you have an opinion on fake plants? Uh, You probably don't want to hear it. I've gotten better about it. I used to be like, I'm a very black and white person. Like it's either black or it's white. But I've kind of, I've gotten as I gotten a little older, I see that there is some gray there. You know, if that's all that works for you, go for it. But I feel like 
you could probably find us a, a plant, a real plant for that spot, or just maybe don't have a plant in that spot. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. like fake plants. I feel like because I'm on tour right now and I'm living in, I'm literally like living Airbnb to Airbnb. I feel like before this, I was like so snooty about them. And also I don't like that they are plastic and hard to recycle and emit VOCs. Like they actually make it worse than and not better. And I kind of was like very passionate about that. But now that I've been traveling and Airbnbs are something where like it's hard to have plants because you have people staying like constantly moving. But there was one Airbnb I stayed in that had really high quality fake plants and just a few of them, but it just like enhanced the feeling so much of just like being at home versus being in an Airbnb that now I'm like, I wonder if my opinion is changing. I know. Mine too. I I, I don't, they're not my favorite and they do. And I think maybe our opinion is also changing because they've made them look so real. So real. And I feel like I get the benefit of feeling calmer like my brain sees it as real. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. But I don't know. I'm still I'm still like developing my opinion there, but I feel like the traveling so much has has made me kind of reevaluate. I guess reevaluate maybe that. it was they weren't made as well as they are now and a lot of times they get beat up and people just leave them there and maybe they've got a bare branch or there's a, an inch and of dust on them or you know covered in dust. Yeah, yeah just covered in dust. Yeah. My daughter has an Airbnb in Detroit and she she has real plants in them. So Oh, she does. I she, just stayed. Has, oh my she god, has to because she's my daughter. <laughs> I love that. Too. One of the sponsors for this month is a planty houseboat, and it's two houseboats filled with real plants, and it was the coolest, most fun Airbnb experience I've ever had. Oh, um, that is so cool. Yeah. So, so you can do it. You can be an Airbnb host and do it if you have the commitment. But anyway, go follow Lisa. Go purchase her books. They're awesome. And Lisa, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you educating us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was very fun. Thank you so much, Lisa. That was such an enlightening conversation. How many times am I going to use that pun in this episode? I am actually so excited to try some of those new plants. Lisa is actually already prepping a cutting of that philodendron we talk about for me. So if you are interested in low-light plants or purchasing Lisa's books, they are linked in the show notes, and you can actually visit my Amazon storefront where I've put together a compilation of low-light plants, grow lights, books that I think help. So you can check all those links in the show notes. Thank you again to our amazing episode sponsors. I'm so thankful that you are helping me bring these episodes to our entire community for responsibly made, unbelievable indoor and outdoor organic soils, fertilizers, pest control sprays, and more, visit espoma.com to find your local dealer or check out my Amazon storefront linked below with my favorite Espoma products. And if you are interested in a unbelievably planty and unique Airbnb experience in Norfolk, Virginia, visit theloiselaine.com and message Nicole for 20% off by telling her Maria sent you. Okay, plant friends, until next time, keep blooming and keep growing. Plant friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like what you heard, make sure you are subscribed to the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're making sure you're subscribed, why don't you head on over to the review section of whatever podcast player you're tuning into and leave us a review. I would greatly appreciate it. If you are interested in more fun and educational planty content, well, plant friend, I've got a whole lot for you. Subscribe to the Bloom and Grow YouTube show, which is my YouTube channel where I bring you along for my personal plant journey, as well as share informational content that pairs with our podcast episodes. 
follow me at Bloom and Grow Radio on Instagram for behind the scenes, sneak peeks at upcoming episodes, my daily planty lessons and thoughts, and most importantly, tune into my Instagram stories where I am constantly talking with you listeners and plant friends and polling you for content ideas. And I'm always interested in seeing what you're loving these days on Instagram. Join the Bloom and Grow mailing list and get a free download of the Molly Mansfield Keep Blooming print that she created exclusively for our community. And if you can, support Bloom and Grow Radio by becoming a plant friend on Patreon. For as little as $4 a month, you not only help me bring these planty and informative episodes to thousands of ears around the world, but you will also get the super secret planty password to our exclusive Bloom and Grow Radio Garden Club Facebook group, which is a wonderfully active group of plant friends of the Bloom and Grow Radio podcast who make up what I like to call the plantiest corner of the internet. It is a lot of fun over there. And as always, my sweet plant friends, I am here for you. If you have ideas for episode topics, guests, or if you're possibly a business interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me because I am here to help all of you keep blooming and keep growing. plant friends, propagate knowledge, and grow some freaking joy. That's the motto of the Growing Joy Garden Society app and platform, otherwise known as the plantiest and kindest corner of the internet. If you've been an OG listener or a longtime listener, you might also know this app and platform as the Bloom and Grow Garden Party, but with the rebrand, we've rebranded it to the Growing Joy Garden Society. No trolls allowed, kind plant friends only. And if you haven't heard about the society yet, Plant Friend, you got to join. It's my online community that you can access via iOS or Android app or on your computer that I built to connect our international community of plant friends so we can all nerd out together about plants and celebrate our passion for our beloved plant babies. We have members literally all over the world. I'm so in love with this community of sweet plant friends. I can't say enough amazing things about them. But also there's a lot of really cool features about the app you might be interested in. There's dedicated hashtags to all sorts of different subsects of planty passions like houseplants, gardening, plant-inspired DIY projects, growing joy, plants and pets, and so many more. There's a plantrepreneur group. So if you're a planty entrepreneur and you want to connect with other planty entrepreneurs, you can join that group to connect and network. There's a plant swap section. Plus, the entire app, and this is my favorite part, is entirely searchable. So say you want to learn more about Hoya, you type the word Hoya into the search bar, and literally every post ever created about Hoya will pop up so you can click in, see what other people have been posting about Hoya and learn on your own and crowdsource hair information. It's so cool. But last but not least, it's an amazing way to support the show. Your monthly membership not only goes to sustaining the platform, but it also supports my team of editors, writers, and a community manager that help the world of Bloom and Grow keep growing. So come join us. All you got to do is go to jointhegardensociety.com and sign up for the community plan. Once again, you go to jointhegardensociety.com and click the community plan. Hot take plant friends, there is no one right starter plant. There, I said it. And you know what? While I'm at it, there are also no real plant killers in the world. There are just people who have not figured out their right plants for their lifestyle. 
This is why I created the free plant parent personality test. Because plant friend, I want you to get thriving alongside your houseplants as quickly as possible. So I made this cutie little plant parent personality quiz that's totally free for you on my website to take the guesswork out of building your plant collection effortlessly and joyfully. After speaking to thousands of members in our community, I realized that there are about five key plant parent personalities, each one with their unique set of strengths, weaknesses, and a unique set of plants that thrive under their care. For example, a mindful plant parent, someone who wants to engage with their plants daily, use them in their morning routines. If someone gifted that plant parent a succulent and they watered it every day, that succulent would die immediately. However... That drought-resistant succulent is a perfect match for a low-key plant parent, which is someone who travels, has kids, is busy, doesn't have time to engage with their plants every day. They're looking to engage with their plants more like once a week or once every couple of weeks. In addition, obviously, to understanding your light and basic plant care that we provide on this podcast, Happy Plant Parenthood is all about discovering your personality and then picking the right house plants to go with it. It's that simple. No more stressing over your collection. So what plant parent personality type are you, plant friend? All you got to do to find out is take my free quiz on my website and let me know. You can access it at growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality. After taking the test, you'll get an email with a list of plants, podcast episodes, and planty projects that I think would light you specifically up like a full spectrum grow light. So once again, that's growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality for your free plant parent personality test results. <music> 